Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're getting a chance to listen. Thank you for joining me once again on the Radio Eclectic Talk is Cheap. This show has been over 30 years in the making. It's my interview with musician Wesley Stace, who for many years has gone by the name John Wesley Harding, or Wes to his friends. To explain how much Wes's music meant to me and still means to me is impossible, no matter how hard I try. His songs came to me at the perfect time, when I needed something more, something to give me hope, and something to make me laugh in the darkest moments of my life. I've seen Wes more live than any other performer or band, and I'm so thankful that what I do gives me a chance to say thank you to those who have met so much to me. So enough of my talking. Talk is cheap with Wesley Stace. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. So I posted a picture on Facebook with my West collection, which was almost all of your CDs, a few books, and a concert shirt from 1994 that I'm very proud to say still fits. And I wow. wonder, when you see something like that, which is 30 years of your life in one photo, what do you think? And I'm hoping it's happy thoughts. You just flick past it. That's the honest truth. I mean, if I'm honestly answering your question, I feel almost nothing looking at those things. It's not that I'm not proud of every single one of them and of the overall thing that it represents, nor that I don't love what I do. It's just that looking at the evidence of it doesn't do anything for me. I'm very happy that you as an individual have those things and they mean something to you. And by the way, don't think I don't have all those things myself in a little collection of me. But at the moment, I'm very into CTI, the label CTI, and I've been collecting them one by one. And it's particularly great because, you know, you can buy some of their records for like a buck. And I'm kind of amassing the collection of all of them because they're all fantastic in their own way. I feel looking at that collection of CTI records under my record player right now, the same feeling you feel looking at that collection of me records. But I don't feel that feeling looking at my own <laughs> records. That was way too therapeutic an answer, but you did ask the question. I did. I did. <laughs> You and I have spoken over the years online at shows a little bit, and I don't know if I've ever even shared this with you, but you and your music saved my life. And I know it may sound a little melodramatic, but in 1990, I was struggling with drinking and pills. I left the band I was in, didn't have a girlfriend, no job, no prospects, everything that you could imagine happening to a 21-year-old kid. All my fault, by the way. But on a particularly dark night, it was a Friday night, I saw you perform on David Letterman, and I was so impressed that I somehow woke up early the next day, I went over to Strawberry's Records and bought the name above the title, and after one listen, I started to have a completely different outlook on life. So I'm always going to be indebted to you, and I want to thank you for giving me hope through your music, even though you didn't really mean to. Well... I mean, that is just about the most gratifying thing that an artist can hear, frankly. I'm very, very pleased to have affected your life in a positive way. And anybody who listens to, you know, my music, I hope to improve people's lives by making them laugh or by making them feel something or, you know, by 
giving them emotions and enjoyment just by putting on a good show and cheering them up, giving garlanding their leisure time with some good entertainment. But, you know, it, it gets even a little deeper when your music actually kind of helps someone move on to a more positive place and that. So uh, that, that, that moves me and I'm thankful for you telling me. And bringing it back to a little bit less of a serious note, uh, let's go back to a young man growing up in England in the 1980s. Knowing your music and your influences, how was it that you were able to discover some of the great American songwriters like Bob Dylan, who really influenced you as a musician and as a person? I don't think it's ever hard for anybody to discover Bob Dylan. I personally did it, I was in a museum of antique railways items and trains in Brighton and somebody was playing his new single on the radio which was Baby Stop Crying and I re it really hit me I mean I was 11 or 12 or something and I really heard that song I was like oh my god I want to hear that song again and then the first album that I bought by him was uh, Budokan which was a weird first album to buy, but a very good first album to buy because A, even though they were weird versions of his songs, was quite a good greatest hits collection. And once you'd heard those versions, oh, it also had a massive lyric book with it, you know, a lyric uh, pamphlet with it, so you could appreciate the lyrics, which a lot of Dylan albums didn't come with lyrics back then, and buying a book of lyrics was an extra thing. And so... Then I could listen, oh, well, that's what Times They're Changing sounds like. And then I hear the original <laughs> Times They're Changing and go, wow, that's completely different. And so I just got into him. I never aspired to be Bob Dylan ever, which is weird, I realise, because, you know, my name's John Wesley Harding. But I never wanted to, to have to mean that much because his songs mean so much. They're so brilliant and have been even if it's an unconscious brilliant whatever it is he speaks to so many of us he's unlocked so many doors of perception for so many of us and not just perception but political door you know he does it whether he means to or not he's a he's he's a vessel for some larger thing bob dylan it's hard to understand sometimes and i'm a big fan but what his music did for me most importantly, was introduce me to the, if you like, in a funny way, the, the, the new Dylans. And that was what really kicked me off, was hearing John Pry, Steve Goodman, Steve Forbert, David Blue, and of course, you know, others like Leonard Cohen, of course, there are millions of people, Tim Hardin, those are the people. And to me, what John Prime is a genius too, but what he did seemed in some way attainable to me. And I felt that I could write three little four square verses of a song in a persona or feeling something, and, and that could be something I could do. And his songs were so simple, and they were chords I understood, and, you know, that was really what kicked me off with the music. I mean, I mean, and I say that knowing full well that actually I started playing guitar by buying that fantastic Bob Dylan songbook that is, I think, 65 to 75 or something, the Black Songbook, and just learning all those songs in there. But my first busking sets 
when I just went out on the street, I was like, well, I know some songs, I might as well make some money, was, you know, John Prine, John Hyatt, Loudon Wainwright. That was the whole set, 10 songs by you, just played over and over, sometimes adapted or sometimes made up on the spot and re, you know, refurbed by me. Uh, but so, you know, Dylan was great, is great, will always be great. But most great about him for me was he was a gateway to writers that I felt I could have a go at that. And I mean, then it all span out of control and I started writing songs that were nothing like what I'd, because I didn't even know what I would write. So I just started writing and then I felt like, oh, I've, I've amassed some songs. I'll go and play them live. And then suddenly they were on a record. I mean, none of my career has been extremely well planned. I have made it up as it went along and I'm still doing so if I even have a career, you know, I mean, I'm still putting out records, so I guess I do. I was arrested for disturbing the peace Oh, but hey, I was disturbing the war I was waving a small white handkerchief I was saying, oh, please don't fight no more And I thought that there'd be an on each side But there was just two guys wearing very bad ties So I shouted until my throat went hoarse They cut up my voice box, of course I was taken to court in a city of gold where silence is a sure sign of guilt Where you can't speak out in your own defense Or be heard over worlds being built And the trial was a farce as befitted a place Where comedy and tragedy share the same face The judge read the verdict, a curtain was raised An audience roared out its praise And I said Where's the truth around here today? Where do fact and fiction separate? Who's the big guy that we have to pay to find the truth? To find the truth? all made the news but the story was wrong and the photo wasn't even of me and the great god i love he intoned from above you shouldn't sniff at free publicity but it wasn't the voice i'd expected to hear it was thin and unclear and insincere somebody said god's had a manager taking his calls and I said where's the truth around here today where do fact and fiction separate I know that we're much too 
find the truth To find the truth Put in a cell for the whole after life But my mind was just as free as it could be Somebody said, just your body's in chains That encouraged me So I wandered and roamed for the rest of my days I was clearing my name, I was apportioning blame When I woke up, saw a dream was well when I woke up I woke up in my cell and I said where's the truth around here today where the fact and fiction separate no one wants to be the one to Where's the truth? Where's the truth in this world?
I have been buying my music from the same place since 1984. And that place? Music Outlet in Enfield, Connecticut. It doesn't matter if Gary has a table at the Enfield Flea Market or a shop in the Wolco Mall or a place right next to Stop and Shop or his current location at 151 Hazard Avenue in Enfield, Connecticut. I always seem to find my way home. Since I purchased my first album from Gary, Two Steps from the Move from Hanoi Rocks, the incredible staff at Music Outlet have always been there for me when I needed new music, classic stuff, even posters and accessories. Even though I work for Amazon and get so much music from the record labels and bands to review, I will always find my way back to Music Outlet for that unique album, that special order, or just to rifle through the UCDs, albums, and cassettes. Yes, I said cassettes. Music Outlet can special order anything that exists, and prices are always amazing. You can check them out on Facebook at musicoutlet.ct, email, or call and see if Gary can find that special something. If you like anything that you've heard on this show, why not order it from a real live record store? Amazing to think that Music Outlet is one of my longest lasting relationships, and I want you to experience the same thing. That's Music Outlet, 860-749-2050. Special orders are encouraged. If you have never heard of Broadbrook, Connecticut, don't worry about it too much. Not only is it my hometown, but it's the home of the Broadbrook Opera House. Founded in 1892 and reestablished again in 2018, it's a home for all of your event needs, like weddings and parties and private events. It's a beautiful old building that has a lot of special memories for me, and now is the home for some great live music. The venue has an amazing sound system, perfect performance stage, and great viewing no matter where you are seated. There is plenty of parking, and I will guarantee you this, no matter who you go see there, you will enjoy the experience so much you'll be looking for every and any opportunity to go back. On the web, it's broadbrookoperahouse.com. You can like them on Facebook and check out their ever-growing list of concerts. Rock, pop, soul, classic rock, alternative, national acts, and homegrown talent. The Broadbrook Opera House is where you will now call home. For an up-to-date list of all concerts, go to broadbrookoperahouse.com and click Live Shows. Before we jump back into our conversation, I just want to mention some of the other podcasts that I do that you may be interested in. The Radio Eclectic, it's a monthly show where I feature some of the best new music and some classic tracks. Basically, it's me playing DJ for about an hour or so, and I kind of look at it as a love letter to the great days of radio, those days gone by. 53.5, the official Striper podcast. It's a show where we celebrate the yellow and black awesomeness and the spirituality of one of the best bands ever, and that is Striper. Talk is Cheap, the show that you're listening to right now. It features music and interviews with my favorite musicians, hopefully soon to become your favorite musicians, and some very special episodes coming on the way featuring friends from the world of comic books, movies, and TV. And the Power Chords podcast, celebrating the best in music with talk, reviews, and just a spirit of fun with my dear friend, Brian Latendry. For links to all those shows, you can go to originalmatman.weebly.com and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. These shows are all a labor of love for me, so I hope you hear that in every episode. And for information about my books, you can go to www.monarchbooks.com with my all-ages adventure, Monkey See Sea Monkey, getting ready for a release early this summer. And the music in this show that you've been hearing and you will be hearing can be purchased at www.wesleystace.com. The first song was my wife's favorite West song, The Truth, from the Secret Series, but it was originally on Why We Fight. Then we heard my wife's second favorite West song, Monkey and His Cat. That first appeared on the Garden of Eden EP and now can be found on The Man With No Shadow. And tour dates can be found on the events page at wesleystace.com as Wes and David Nagler are going to be playing the great JWH songbook. The tour kicks off on May 18th at City Winery Loft in Philadelphia, PA, May 19th at the Clatter Cafe in Frostburg, Maryland, on May 20th 
20th at Randy Nows in Hightown, New Jersey. On May 21st at the Ekman Arena in Ringwood, New Jersey. May 23rd at the Sidery Winery Loft in the wonderful and beautiful New York City. Love that place. And finally, May 24th at the Parlor Room in Northampton, Mass. I will be at that show. And the following night, the 25th, at the Club Passum in Cambridge, Mass. That's the East Coast Swing. And now, back to more talk. Your album seemed to capture a time in your life. It's really great. And I always want to tell people, if you want to understand what Wes is all about, go pick up a couple live albums. Because these songs, you'll find out how he feels politically, how he feels musically. Because they're all stories, you know. It's it's just an amazing thing that you have done throughout your entire career, which is why I love your music so much. And y- you have changed, you have changed with the times, and you have changed with me, or I've changed with you. I'm not sure which which one it was. Well put. I think what it is is, and I, I actually don't think I've kind of thought that. I try I try to analyze. You can imagine. I try to analyse what I do as little as possible. There's no good to it. It's like looking at that collection of CDs. It doesn't fill me with weariness. It doesn't fill me with excitement. There they are. That's what I do. Great. They're done. I never really listen to the music once I've listened to it a million times during mixing and finishing it off and editing or whatever. And at those moments, I listen to that music, and I just think it's the greatest music I've ever heard in my life. Like, late style. I mean, I just think it's perfect. I li- you know, because I've made it perfect. I've made it the perfect way I want it to be. It comes out, I never listen to it again or think about it, ever. Unless I have to listen to it to rehearse it, which, in fact, I am doing for a little thing on Sunday. And I just am going to get late style out today because I want to play a nice acoustic version of your bright future which is complicated and i have to get into it again so i do think i am complimented that you would say that it seems to move with the times because i think each album really does represent a year or two of my life and i really try to make them all different i was just talking with my wife the other day and there was something I, I, oh, it's too complicated to explain, but I've done a flowchart of artistic advice for a friend's book. You know, he got Wayne Coyne and lots of other artistic people and people I like to pose flowcharts about questions they could ask that might help somebody who wanted to make art or a student of art or, a, you know, that kind of thing. And one of the questions I asked was, what is your biggest artistic regret? And my wife was looking at this and she said, what is your biggest artistic regret? (laughs) And I, of course, had posed it as the question because I know the answer. My biggest artistic regret is any time I've made the same album again. It never works. It isn't good. Not enough people like me for me not to be at the top, top of my game trying to provide the best possible album. Repetition is not useful. And I have never, I've only very rarely in my life had the budgets that I needed to really make the perfect thing that I wanted. Years ago, David Lewis and I, his album's called No Straight Line. And that is because, his first album, and that's because we didn't have any money to make it, of course. And we came up with this theory, did he, did I, 
that if you try and draw a straight line without a ruler, without the right tools, it can't be done. But if you whip off a curly line very quickly, it's beautiful. And I kind of made that my artistic theory, if you like. I can't, I haven't got the money to do what I want to do. I can't hire an orchestra. I can't take a huge band on the road. I'm going to do the no straight line version of all those things. And when you hear some of the albums, I mean, you know about the Secret Series, right? Yes, we're going to talk about that a little bit because I'm very intrigued. Okay, well, maybe I'll leave this. Well, no, I'll I'll get to it right now. Why did I bring it up in the first place, though? That's the interesting thing. Tell me, what what was I talking about right before I interrupted myself then? Uh, Talking about budgets and uh, making the the perfect album and and changing with the times. The album I'm currently excavating and inhabiting for the Secret Series, my next recording is Awake. And that means I've been listening to Awake a little bit and trying to work out how I can do solo acoustic versions of some of those songs, some of which were never meant to be played solo acoustic. And in fact, our studio confections. And Awake is so weird. I mean, not weird, great. What Chris von Snyden and I were attempting or able to do, it was after New Deal, and we really wanted to push that envelope as far as we could. But I mean, I had no money to make the album with. And also, sadly, I'm not a fiddler. I don't have my own home equipment. I've never been good at that stuff. I I, I don't have the patience for it. I just write the songs, demo them solo acoustic, and then teach them to a band. I mean, that's the way it's always gone. But it strikes me that I did have budget for The Man With No Shadow that came out as uh, Adam's Apple and is now The Man With No Shadow again. And I did have budget for Here Comes the Groom, I just had no idea what I was doing. So I was totally in Andy Paley and the attractions control, which is fantastic. And I did have budget. I mean, I didn't have budget for late style. And yet that album is the only album I've ever made, probably, where to me, every single note is in place and perfect. So it's been a career, if you like, where necessity is the mother of invention. Because I am not interested in folk rock-based stuff. My ambitions for my own music are much different to that, as you you know. And I, I have, of course, done that at times because it is a great way to make music. And I love banging away with a band and teaching band stuff. But I mean, I want to, I, I just try almost without the financial ability, as it were, to just be making the most ambitious albums I possibly can. One of my favourites, which will be another one of the Secret Series coming up, is Who Was Changed and Who Was Dead, an album that never got a fair shape because it wasn't really on a record label, sadly. I put that out myself in a spirit of DIY enthusiasm. (laughs) And... That, I think, is a sensational album. I think all I'm trying to say is I've always tried to be as ambitious for the songs as possible. And each one album is made in a specific geographical place with specific people who all are contributing to that. And so they all have, to me, a very different identity and they have a very 
different feel. And I think that's what you're picking up on when you mentioned kind of the passing of time. There's a freeway where we played football in the fields Apartments on the pitch at Highbury There's a shed called Deer Creek Of which my one critique Is there's no creek now and it's all deer free There's a Walgreens where there were no walls just greenery there's a theme park in a palace in Tennessee That tree there is a pylon But some things you can rely on There's a Starbucks where the Starbucks used to be There's a Starbucks where the Starbucks used to be There's a Starbucks where the Starbucks used to be excited about the secret series i i was on the website and saw this and thought oh my god you're going back and basically re-recording acoustically your entire set your entire life 
and putting some notes in there, putting them in a nice little book, and you have a slip case for the entire collection. I am really excited about this, and I'm wondering, should I order now, or should I? are you going to have them when you go on the road soon? Oh, you should definitely order now, because there's only 250 copies of each book, and 190 of those now are spoken for. I've been selling individual copies of the other ones, but... The, the idea of the subscription, because I wanted to make the subscription attractive, is you don't just get the 12 CDs and the 12 books. You also get a 13th album with loads of outtakes, you know, newly recorded other songs that didn't quite make it, like the Live Aid song and Your New Clothes and you know, various favourites of mine and other people who've suggested them. And so there's a free 13 CD and a slipcase. And also, if you subscribe, you get the lyrics to one of the songs from my working copy that I worked on in the studio. So you definitely want to subscribe to the whole thing, in my opinion. I definitely will be. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about before we finish our time, and thank you so much for uh, squeezing me in between recording, getting ready for shows, construction in the house. Um, you're well, going to be... Go on. I just want to say, and I apologize for giving such long answers, but sometimes, you know, when I just have a thing about dealing with the question at hand, and I realize... I could I could answer a little quicker. Sometimes. No, this this is perfect because this is you. This is exactly what I was hoping for. Um, very excited, but you're jumping out on the road again next month with yeah. David Nagler, yeah. and you're playing yeah. the music from the great JWH Songbook. And I'm super excited because there's two stops in Massachusetts. You've got Northampton and Cambridge, so yeah. my wife and I will obviously be going to both of those. But right. what but what can fans expect on this run of shows? Well. Unfortunately, Late Style came out, you know, in the middle of COVID. We did three Late Style shows, uh, I think Boston, New York and Philly. Um, luckily, we did a Late at Noon on, in, on XPN, which really captured the Late Style show. So I have a really nice recording of it, which is fabulous. Um, but what it means is we never really went, I never really took these songs around. But, and we had that rather nice-looking old-fashioned photo taken by Ilya Merman in Boston of me and David Nagler. And as I looked at that photo, I thought, oh, my God, it just looks like, you know, Rod Stewart's going to do the great American <laughs> songbook suddenly. That was what I thought when I looked at it. It just looked like somebody who was going to go into, you know, that old black magic called love or, you know, melancholy mood like Bob Dylan or something like that and so I thought oh great we'll play the great John Wesley Harding songbook <laughs> but uh, but basically we're just going to be playing songs from all, all over and not you know it's not the late style show the late style show was the late style songs and until I make another album and have enough songs to well you know I don't even know what the next album's going to be like but my hope is it's going to be a little like late style but in a more live atmosphere because that was very isolated and separated made album despite the fact to have the great prairie prince on the drums and all those fantastic kelly hogan and Nora o'connor no one was really together to do it and david nagler did a phenomenal job kind of wrangling all those parts out of people and etc etc but my ambition for the next one is to have the next batch of songs and have somehow 
all those people in a room. Mm. So the vibe of it is all, almost like a live concert, if you know what I mean, because that's how that music really should be played. So that's the idea I'm kicking off with. Um, in the meantime, there's a lot of songs to be played, and I haven't been to Northampton in a long while. I haven't been to any of these places in a long while. So we're going to do the. But, you know, on the other hand, I also feel... I know that you can be 80 years old. You know, there's plenty of evidence that you can play rock and roll till you're 100. But, you know, I, I think for my own comfort, short little legs of things is more fun for me. Because, I, I mean, I just, I like to be at home with my kids. I like, it's what I like to do. So I like the idea of like seven, eight show legs. And so we're going to do this one. And then we're, I'm hoping to go down the West Coast. I, I have an opera. Uh, that I wrote the words for that's in San Francisco on the 29th, 30th of November. So I'm hoping to fit some things in around then. And then I also am desperate to go down to Atlanta in DC. So I think that's another leg coming up. But basically, this show is the show David and I took to the Midwest last summer. Was it summer, something like that? Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's a very good duo with him on either keyboards and guitars. The great thing about David is you not only get the keyboards and the guitars, but you get the great harmonies. Long ago, I had a dream. A man came up to me. Gave me paper and a pen and a cast-iron guarantee. He said, write six words, make the next line rhyme, and learn four basic chords. When you've got the third line, well, in next to no time, oh, you'll be wanting more. on me I guess he didn't know that I was tired of school and bored of poetry so I played along stifled a yawn perhaps he was wrong in the head and when I woke I found a note and this is what it said you can write your own words you can sing your own song and it doesn't really matter if you're out of tune or if no one sings along you can write your own Sometimes with explanatory mind And no one's told her that it's difficult Yet that isn't in her head So we sing her song all evening long And ride until it's time for bed You can write your own words You can sing your own song And it doesn't really matter if you're out of tune Or if no one sings along Cause if you do what you like And you like what you do 
If you want to know what a dream sounds like, that pretty much was it. The music and voice of Wesley Stace. The last song that you heard was Sing Your Own Song from the Sound of His Own Voice, and then the amazing There's a Starbucks Where the Starbucks Used to Be, also from the Sound of His Own Voice. I can't thank Wes enough for the time, the music, the memories. I remember starting off this show by saying I couldn't find the words to quite describe how I feel about his music, and I think I kind of can now. My life would be completely different if I didn't happen to fall upon Wes that night on David Letterman. www.wesleystace.com for more information. And well, that's it. That's the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Get out there and support live music and dive right into the great John Wesley Harding songbook. You will not be disappointed. I'm the Matt Man. Have yourself a good one until we rock again soon. Witch hunts aren't about hunting witches. They never were. Anyone who knows me has accepted the fact that comic books are an important part of my life. I've been reading and absorbing the comic book culture since 1974, and I look at the 70s and early 1980s as a great time for comic book fans. Back then, there was so much variety, style, and quality in not only the art and story, but in the overall production. There is one comic company that holds true to those principles, delivering quality comics, books, and trade collections. Monarch Comics has been delivering action, suspense, and humor since 2007. Monarch Comics lineup includes the award-winning and wicked funny Saga of Evil Monkey Man and their flagship title, Witch Hunter. This book has received rave reviews from everyone, including Herkus and comic legend Jim Shooter, who said, Monarch Comics won't let you down. Not only does Monarch have comics, but they also have a line of books, Monarch Books. The latest from Monarch Books is Black Sabbath, The Vinyl Testament. You can find everything you need to know by going to www.monarchcomics.com. On Facebook, it's Monarch Comics. Just look for Witch Hunter. Monarch Comics and books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and comic book stores worldwide. 